Shepherdess at Harmony Farms here, where we encourage you to think big, start small, and don't quit. Welcome to episode 16 of the Shepherdess podcast, which is sponsored by farmontheweb.com. That is a program in which we teach farmers how to be marketers. Now enrollment is closed for this cycle, but please visit farmontheweb.com where you can sign up for notification once enrollment on the next Farm on the Web cycle begins. Now this is a course that will systematically take you through seven steps to get your farm or ranch on the internet. These will walk you through best practices for places like social media, Facebook, Instagram, and the like, as well as step-by-steps on the crucial elements required in establishing a newsletter, as well as a website. This is sort of a formula for marketing that I have developed over the past several years of being a digital marketer. That is my job by trade, so head on over and check out the next enrollment slot for farmontheweb.com if you are serious about building your farm into a business. So today's episode of the Shepherdess podcast is four reasons why. I was invited to speak on a podcast and I was asked, what are four things that you want people to know after we're done talking here? And I circled back around to the four things that really compelled me to get into farming as somebody with no previous experience in agriculture. Four things that made me stop in my tracks and really say, I've got to do something with the resources that I had at hand. And obviously all of this is predicated on where I'm coming from, from a faith basis. You've heard me say it before, probably on this podcast, maybe on my YouTube channel, but I believe that the Lord has put me right in the middle of these resources, these 30 acres for a purpose. And at the end of the day, my goal is simply to be faithful with what I'm right in the midst of. And as I realized these four things, these four critical challenges that our culture is up against. Maybe we will not see the downfall in our generation, but I feel almost surely that we will see it in the generation to come. And we have begun to see the cracks in these systems. We've begun to see the very tip of the iceberg of these problems. We saw it in 2020. Our food system failed. We saw it in 2021, cyber attacks put out meat processing plants and sent a centralized food system into a further spiral after all that 2020 was. And vulnerabilities have been shown, and we are accountable if we don't do something about them. So without further ado, I'm going to get into my four reasons, my four things that stimulated me to pursue regenerative farming on my 30 acres here. And number one is that I believe that poor soil health is a primary danger that our generation is facing. Without a widespread movement of small farmers operating with soil health as a priority, 
our food system is dead on arrival. I was watching a lecture, I think it was a TEDx talk, if I'm correct, where Joel Salatin was speaking, and this was one of the 50 million podcasts I was listening to, YouTube videos I was listening to at the onset of my regenerative farming journey just 14 months ago. He said, the wealth of a nation lies in the health of its soil simply because soil health is a primary barrier between a nation and starvation. And as a business person, that hit me between the eyes because I understood just practically that everything required to sustain life is a derivative of the soil. Whether it's the food we put into our mouths or the clothes we put on our back, these all are derived, whether directly or indirectly, from the soil. And when it's gone, what's going to happen? There's only so much that we can grow in labs. Furthermore, as a nation, our primary agricultural product is corn. Corn quickly followed up by soy, soybeans. But back to the primary point here is that corn, again, to quote Joel Salatin on a podcast I was doing with him, and if you guys haven't heard that podcast, go back to the very first episode, download it, and listen. But... Every bushel of corn produced in the United States requires two bushels of soil. And the question posed is, as a nation, how long can you continue to do that before you're entirely bankrupt of that critical resource? And the answer is, nobody knows. And the further question is, once we are out of it, What are we going to do? Because the process of rebuilding soil, it is a work of generations. While we can see some pretty incredible results in just one season of rotational grazing, the process of building soil that can produce food without being bathed in chemical fertilizers and genetically modified seeds, that takes years. So with that foresight, We, as this generation, and being thoughtful and mindful of the generation to come, have a huge responsibility to undertake the effort of rebuilding the soil that we have access to. That is what hit me between the eyes, and that is the responsibility I felt once I understood what was happening. Reason number two, and fact number two, that really hit me between the eyes as I was doing my research to launch my regenerative farm and launch into this rotational grazing project with the sheep that were then on my property and the beef steer that were then oncoming was the reality that the average American farmer is 64 years old and that is according to a USDA census I believe that was put out in 2015 And it's a general understanding that once a labor force in any given industry exceeds the age of 35, that particular industry is said to be going into extinction. And that's a really, really major concern for us as a nation once again, because farming is the one thing in the one industry that every single human being in this nation relies on three times a day. 
we all need a farmer at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And to consider the fact that that demographic is aging and retiring, if not dying, is extremely concerning. So who's going to produce our food if we don't? We will still need it. And the reality is we will see, more than likely, a massive shift to imports. Imports of our foodstuffs. And it was kind of an interesting timing in my digital marketing career. My primary industry that I work with is the retail apparel industry. And at the end of 2019 and beginning of 2020, I was doing a video journalism report on the impact of imports on American manufacturing. And from 1970 to 2010, I believe was the date range, the United States saw the manufacturing of goods stateside go from 92% to just 7%. That was a shift in 40 years, a massive shift from producing 90%, 92% of the apparel that Americans wore to just 7%. And if you think for a moment that our food system is immune to this kind of import threat, I believe it's wrong. We are at a time and place in history where technology is allowing us to import things at low costs. And if there is a deficit in production of these foodstuffs, and other countries are teeming with people who see the opportunity to grow them and export them, it's going to happen. And to be completely honest, it already is happening. Fruits and vegetables are imported from other countries. And if you Google the COOL Act, C-O-O-L, it is an industry requirement that meat companies disclose where their beef and pork was born and raised and slaughtered. But this act has not been enforced since 2016. And right now, the grass-fed meat market, the grass-fed beef market primarily, is facing a lot of competition from Argentina, where entire sides of beef are imported, uncut, to the United States and processed in the United States. And then a sticker is slapped on them that says, Product of USA, simply because... It was cut up in the United States. Nothing against Argentina or other countries, but if you want to support an important infrastructure, you want to support locally grown products. But back to the parallels between the apparel manufacturing industry and what we may well be facing in the food production industry. The interesting thing was I did this video journalism report at the onset of... COVID-19. And this was, again, it was on the retail apparel industry. And when COVID hit, we all know it. Face masks became a thing. Face masks became a requirement. It's not about face masks, so don't, don't email me about face masks. But the reality was American manufacturing in the apparel industry was so crippled, it could not hardly produce 
a fabric face mask that consists of a square of fabric to go over your mouth and nose and elastic loops to go around your ears. There was a clog. They were selling out. And the producers who could make them in the United States, and I know this because one of the brands I worked with transitioned its manufacturing to face masks over the pandemic and saw an insane surge in sales. They were overwhelmed. But to to retrack here is that that pandemic showed us how compromised we were by exporting our apparel manufacturing industry. And we can walk around naked for, you know, however long and be fine, but we can't walk around without food for very long and be fine. So if we're talking about coming up on a time in history where our farming community is aging and retiring and dying, and we are facing the continued need for food, I don't think we should fool ourselves in thinking the massive shift to food imports is out of the question. And I don't think we should fool ourselves by being okay with that in light of the fact that we just exited 2020 and we saw the threat that international supply chains posed on so many different levels. If we put our food on that line, we are in for it. And to, to, to go on a bunny trail here for just a second, what I'm doing right now is by no means profitable. It's going to be a red letter year here in year number one. And while my business plan extends into seven years, the reality that I am trucking forward with is that no, I'm not in the black, but are we putting a price tag on the understanding of what it takes to grow food? And if I did put a price tag on all that I am learning in this process of growing meat, of taking 30 acres of grass and understanding what it takes to convert that grass into a product that ends on our dinner plate, I just cannot express to you the wealth that that information and that knowledge is to me. And that is something we are losing touch with in this generation. If you go back to our grandparents, our great-grandparents, it was a given in most cases, probably up until the 40s or 50s, maybe even the 60s, that everybody had a garden in their backyard. Everybody understood how to produce food on some level or another. And by everybody, in context, you know, 90%, 80% of the population. And today, it's lost. It's all but lost. So in light of the aging demographic in our farming industry, in our agricultural industry, I felt it was incumbent upon me, with this knowledge at hand, to do what I could with what I had. And in light of all of this, the reason number three, and basically the motive number three, is just sort of this motto of sorts that sort of is put on my heart, and it was really starting small is better than not starting at all. You have what you need right now to become a food producer in your context. Maybe you won't produce thousands of pounds of meat or hundreds of pounds of meat, 
Maybe you'll produce tomatoes in a five-gallon bucket. But if this is your calling, I believe you have everything you need right now to get started. You only need the eyes to see it, in my opinion. And that is what I want to communicate, that starting small is better than not starting at all. From a business perspective, there's a term called scaling up and just scaling in general. And it's a principle that is essentially this. Whatever you want to do on a large scale, start it small. Start it miniature. And if you can achieve your goals in a tiny context, you can scale it up and see the same success on a large scale as you see in a small scale. So maybe you'll understand this, you know, when you see those replicas, maybe of a battleship or the White House in museums, and they'll say, this is precisely one one hundredth scale of the White House. Well, they've nailed every detail in that one one hundredth scale. And as farmers, we can do the very same thing. Start with what you have. Do what you can with what you have. And number four was really a principle that I launched with. And it is, in farming, start with your existing resources and go from there. Avoid any major investments or expansions beyond these existing resources until you have spent one year cultivating what is right in front of you. Even if it's just a backyard, explore all of the ways you can grow food there first. Last year, I started really small. I said, if I can confine four lambs, four ram lambs, we had just pulled them out of the flock for weaning. And at that time, I thought, if I can get my electric fencing for four, then I can move to this flock over here of 24. And that's exactly what I did. I don't know if many of you are familiar with this story, but I didn't start with the entire flock. I started with four or five animals. And I had a huge amount of success with my electric fencing on those four animals. I had never done anything with electric fencing before. I had watched probably seven hours worth of YouTube videos just to figure out how to get a grounding rod into the ground. That's about the extent of my experience with electric fencing. But that day, I created a paddock and I launched those four animals into it and I kept them contained. And here we are, we're at 40 animals and it works with 40, and I am 100% confident that this system will work with 400 animals, which is ultimately the scale I'd like to be at. Another perspective to give and encourage you in this, starting with existing resources and really limiting your financial investment at the onset, is that you may well get into this one year, two years down the road, and realize that this lifestyle is far more encompassing than you initially thought it would be. And to come to understand that in a position where maybe you are assisting a farmer rather than having assumed the financial liability of livestock yourself is far less damaging. But at least for the first year of this lifestyle, of this farming journey, Dig your heels in with respect to any serious investments in infrastructure, in land, 
in anything and just bootstrap it and see where it goes. At the end of year one, I have more excitement and more enthusiasm for this way of farming and regenerative agriculture. While I have a greater understanding of what it's going to require of me and of the amount of physical and mental stamina it will require, my viewpoint and my understanding of the importance of this, it's only heightened. So guys, thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Shepherdess Podcast. I hope it has encouraged you. And guys, if you would like more content surrounding regenerative farming for profit, please visit www.harmonyfarms.blog. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter there. And I look forward to talking to you in the next episode.